Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show I'm Michaela Stubbs And today we're speaking with Zelda Grimshaw Who is a grassroots activist and a weapons campaigner with Wage Peace Her work focuses on the companies supplying arms to Indonesia and she collaborates closely with West Papuan human rights defenders. Zelda was one of the key organisers of Disrupt Land Forces, a mass mobilisation to hinder, hamper and eventually halt Australia's biennial weapons expo. Today we talk to her about the upcoming Disrupt Sea Forces, mobilising to disrupt the naval version of land forces which is the Indo-Pacific 2023 conference from the 5th to 9th of November on the unceded lands of Warung, Sydney. Zelda, thank you so much for joining us on the Radioactive Show. Wage Peace has just announced Disrupt Sea Forces running from November 5th to 9th in Warung, Sydney. Tell us a bit about what is planned. Indo-Pacific 23 is huge weapons expo of you know naval military destructive power uh, and as with disrupt land forces disrupt sea forces aims to make our presence known at that expo and let the harms dealers and the heads of state and the military chiefs and generals know that we do not support this trade we want to see a different kind of world being built climate safe and also safe from weapons. Mm. This Indo-Pacific Naval Expo, is it the first time this has happened here or is it a regular event? It has happened before in Sydney, uh, but it's the first time that we've run a mobilisation at it. So we're hoping to gather all the peace and earth-loving humans together and really let them know that they do not have our support to be exporting terror and making a killing using our money to make weapons that get pointed at us or people just like us. Yeah, there's a similar kind of lineup of weapons manufacturers and military corporations at this event as there were at yeah. Land Forces or is it a bit of a different Yeah, there are. All all the all the big companies will be there. So Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, BAE Systems, General Dynamics, you know, all the big international companies will be there. They're all into making war at sea just as much as they are making it on land or in the air. You know, especially when you start looking um, at not just boat building and submarine building, but the next level down of manufacturing missiles and um, and naval guns and all the engineering equipment, all the surveillance equipment um, that that goes into these huge, you know, ocean-going weapons. Um, it'll be all the all the major companies will be there, and then there'll be a whole lot of smaller. Um, mostly Australian companies vying for some of that that piece of that pie, for some of that business, mm. which, you know, as I said, in the end, is paid for by us. Like the people who buy these weapons are governments and they buy them with our money. So, yeah, as, as humans who live on the planet and also as people who are paying for these things, we feel like we have... Um, every right and 
we need to say that's not what we want our money spent on. We want earth care, not warfare. Yes, absolutely. And I guess since the AUKUS announcement, the kind of money that the governments are willing to spend on the goods that these companies are making is really clear and we can see the impact of that on our societies here. On your page of information, you're talking about backing up Pacifica leaders that are calling on Australia to pivot from militarism to climate action. What sort of conversations have you been having with people in the Pacific in the lead up to this? Uh, we're hoping we'll see a, a delegation of Pacifica communities um, at the at the expo. Um, yeah, definitely the the call by Pacifica leaders to say Australia, we want you, <laughs> we want you looking at climate action, not at increasing militarism in the Pacific. You know, it's what makes sense for all of us. So we definitely want to support that, and yeah, we're having those conversations now. Um, it's a little bit short notice. Like we, we sort of made a quite a last minute call that we'd go ahead and run this this mobilisation. Um, but it's a pretty significant event, the Indo-Pacific event. Like again, it's it's literally billions of dollars of weapons deals get done at at these events. So pretty confident that there'll be a contingent of um, Pacific community there to oppose. Other allies and uh, comrades, I guess, are Palestinian folk who, you know, know far too much about the impact of weapons on the community and First Nations Australians who are at the pointy end of militarism in, you know, militarised policing, especially on this continent. Um, West Papuans who, you know, again, are having Australian weapons pointed at them in West Papua. So, you know, it's a very open call to anyone who's, you know, wanting to prioritise earth care over warfare. Uh, it's a completely open call, so any any action group, any group who feels, you know, aligns with that call um, are welcome to come and do their own action or to connect with us and take action with us. And we are outreaching to those particular impacted communities to ensure that there's space uh, for them to protest in the way that they want to and be supported to do that if, if they need that. But, yeah, they probably don't need our support so much as our um, allyship on the ground. Yeah. And I know Wedge Peace and the Distrupt Land Forces actions that you had at Brisbane were very successful in that the... Companies have decided not to hold another disrupt land forces in the same location, at least. And yeah, tell us a bit about for, yeah for people who are not familiar with the kind of range of different activities that happen. Then just give us a bit of a sense of yeah what kind of things. Sure. Well, the first disrupt land forces in twenty twenty one, they were not expecting us, even though we promoted it quite. Strongly, but they obviously weren't watching our social media. So we're not expecting us. And we were able to get into the venue. We were able to get on top of tanks, both inside the venue and outside, blocking the bump in. Uh, we blocked the bump out. We were able to get right up close to the, the harms dealers and the generals and the heads of state. Um, one person 
threw themselves on the bonnet of Christopher Pine's car and did a you know, citizen's arrest of Christopher Pine. So there was, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of quite direct disruption of the event. Um, there was paint thrown inside the venue. Um, there was certainly a lot of noise. It was it was so noisy that the police brought earplugs. And the second time around, they were ready for us and they put up a huge perimeter fence and all of the weapons they were trucking into the centre were in covered trucks so that you couldn't see the weapons and were escorted by police. Um, they had security guards all over the place, so they way up to the level of security. Um, even then, we managed to be pretty disruptive. And so why I think we were successful is that we cost them too much in security. So AMDA, the Australian Military Defence Association, I think it is, who are based in Geelong, they run these expos. So the weapons companies are making their billions, selling to governments. You know, the generals are there saying, oh, yes, we need that and we need that and we need that, etc. But AMDA is the charity, actually. It's a charitable organisation. AMDA is the organisation that runs the fairs. So they make their money from the weapons companies, you know, paying them $5,000 to have a store or $10,000 to have a big store or whatever. We cost them so much in security that it was not worth it for them to run it again in Brisbane. So that's, you know, one way to stop an arms expo um, is to make it cost them too much. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to try a similar set of tactics in Sydney and, um, you know, it's in Darling Harbour. I don't think you can bring a submarine into Darling Harbour. I think it's too shallow. Um, But there will be warships there. So lots of scope for spectacular actions in Sydney Harbour and we'll do our best to turn them off, the idea of holding an arms expo anywhere. Well, firstly, uh, if people want to find out more and connect with uh, Wage Peace for Disrupt Sea Forces, what's the best way for them to do that? Our website will be the best place to go. So it's wagepeaceau.org forward slash disrupt sea forces or it's on the front page you can click through from the front page so wagepeaceau.org that'll tell you about what the three days the actual expo is on for three days the 7th 8th and 9th Um, we're inviting people from the 5th so people can participate in planning and getting ready there's some amount of accommodation um, which you know, is walking distance from the expo. So activists who want to travel from outside of Warung, Sydney, will be able to accommodate. So that'll give you a link to sign up and let us know that you're coming. Or you can just email us, info at wagepeaceau.org and get in touch that way. Let us know you'd like to come. You can message us on social media, but yeah, through web or email, it's probably going to be quickest. Excellent. And we've got, at the moment, um, a Listen for Peace series of listening circles for the Peace Pod, Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies podcast. Do you want to just give us a little promotion about that? For sure. I'd love to. So Peace Pod is really beautifully produced 
um, series of episodes focusing on anti-militarist struggle, um, mostly on this continent, but um, a little bit with allies overseas as well. And you can find that by putting Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies into whatever podcast stream you usually use um, or wage piece. Um, but Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies is the title of the series. And Wednesday nights up until November the 1st, we're running listening circles uh, from 7 to 8.30pm. So you can jump on Zoom, listen to an episode together with others, and there's plenty of space for engagement and discussing the episode and um, imagining together how we can create earth care, not warfare for our world. Uh, again, you'll find those um, the link to register on our website. Mm, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Radioactive Show. And, yeah, we look forward to hearing more about Disrupt CFOSs in the coming month or so. Thanks, Michaela. That was Zelda Grimshaw bringing us some information about Disrupt CFOSs. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show produced in the studios of 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation and broadcast across these stolen lands, now called Australia, thanks to the Community Radio Network. Wage Peace won the World Beyond Wars War Abolisher of the Year Award last year. Now let's go to hear an excerpt of Peace Pod, Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies podcast series. Pemawai, Windradine, Tongalongata, Taranorara, Dundali, Yagan. These were some of the First Nations warriors and fighters who first resisted European colonisation in the frontier wars. And the weapons used by the colonisers, well, for nearly 70 years they were muskets. After 1860, rifles arrived, made by companies that are still famous today, like Enfield from the UK and Winchester from the United States. So you can see the beginnings of our global weapons industry back then. That industry came in with colonisation and it is still on the front lines of colonial projects today, all over country. Auntie Sue Coleman-Hasseldean is a Cockatha senior elder and a grandmother. Auntie Sue is also a Nobel Peace Prize laureate, together with the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons. She's a fierce defender of sacred sites and all that lives on her country, including the tiny little lizards known as thorny devils. When we were kids, the thorny devils used to be our friends on the mission. They were a little like a little toys. We never heard them. We'd play with them, walk around with them, then let them go. We still come across the odd one, not very often. And when we do, it's treated with the utmost respect because it's just so, so rare. The kids pick them up and carry them and hug them and and put them back again. And these little things are actually in danger. They don't understand any of that. They probably don't want to understand because it's in the way of making their millions, their billions... When are they going to realise they can't eat, drink or breathe money when it's all too late? 
My name is Sue Coleman Hazeldine and I'm from Suna on the far west coast of South Australia. Auntie Sue's passion for peace and for her country are well known. Her early life, less so. My story actually started on Kuniba Mission. I was born there, delivered by my grandmother, and I grew up my first 10 or 11 years on that mission. They were very important um, times for me because they instilled in me my culture, my language, and everything I believe in. Um, When I was 10 years old, I was supposed to look after my new baby brother. But when my mum came home from the hospital, she didn't have the baby with her. So I was so upset they told me the baby had died and, you know, they didn't have a funeral, so where is this baby? Then they told me that the baby was adopted out by a nice white family. But, you know, that was a part of my life that took something away. And um, it was the welfare system that said to my mum at the time, if you don't sign this baby over for adoption, we're going to take the kids you already got. Anyway, mum signed the baby over under duress. And, you know, like another year or something down the track, the welfare took us away from her anyway. So I I don't know how you'd describe that, but they took us away from mum after making her sign that boy over. When I was taken away from my mother, she wasn't allowed to have any connections with me. But I found her when I was 14 years old. I found out where she was living. So I just went to her house and she was scared that the police would come because she wasn't supposed to have any contact with me. But the old German man she was living with at the time, he supported me. And then mum had to give in because she was outvoted. And I just didn't take any notice of any welfare people or any police or anybody. I'd found my mother. So I stayed with her. Once I found mum, something gave, I don't know, but it released me, I guess, to be able to go back to country. And I've hated authority, never never conformed to it, because they were the people I looked at that was ruining my life. Stealing my childhood. Stealing my mother my brother and two brothers and two sisters separating us anybody that had authority was a target for me a bit of context for our international listeners This is a story of the Stolen Generations. It was government policy on this continent to remove Aboriginal children and place them with white families. Thousands and thousands suffered under this policy. It's not unique to Australia. And here, as elsewhere, in many ways it continues with punitive police and child protection policies. I got married, had six kids of my own, I lost one. And um, I didn't know what was happening to me, something was going on, I lost a lot of weight. And one doctor finally 
um, checked me for thyroids. So they found that I had an overactive thyroid and when they removed that, that was cancerous, so they took the whole lot out. And I needed to find answers for this. I knew it wasn't right because our people didn't have cancer and stuff back in the day. Of course, when I was a toddler, the Maralinga bombs were happening. And I would have been eating the dust like every other child in Australia at the time. From colonial rifles in the frontier wars to the biggest weapons ever made. In the 50s and 60s, Australia's government allowed the United Kingdom to conduct seven large-scale nuclear tests at the Maralinga and nearby emu field sites in South Australia. They also ran a large number of smaller tests, all highly dangerous. That's in the same geographic area as Auntie Sue's country, Cookada country. The UK and Australian governments said the site was uninhabited. First Nations peoples tell a different story. Um, when my grandchildren started to get sick, my son was 45 years old, triple R bypass, and I, I've found out since that radiation poisoning can cause that as well. But it's probably all started to come down through my genes and my husband's, because he was around Sejuna at the same time. So we probably passed down whatever bad genes or whatever to the children and then granddaughter, no thyroid. Um, great granddaughter, what happened to you, baby? You know, born deformed. So I started attending the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance meetings and through Dr Bill Williams, he's passed away now, but he guided me through a lot of things. He told me that the thyroid is, you know, one of your first defences against radiation poisoning. Um, he was a very caring person. How can you describe somebody who took you seriously when you had a problem and talked you through it? He didn't have to. He could have just left me with the, the, the bare answers to the questions, but he didn't. He actually helped personally. So how do you describe somebody like that? But thank you, you know. Hmm. Because all the years after Maralinga, we didn't know. Never knew. And through that one man and Anfa, we found out a lot. All of these things that I've been watching coming down happening is exactly what Dr Bill said could happen. And it has, and that's just my family. I don't know about other people's families. I'm sure there's plenty of loss and grief out there that doesn't get spoken about. Um, then I started to realise that all of this stuff was, you know, due to mining and greed and everything else that goes with uranium mining and bombs and I, I decided that I was going to try and fight this, you know, stop it because we didn't want it to happen again. Maralinga is in South Australia, somewhere in the general ballpark of the Woomera protected area, one of the most militarised zones in Australia 
and it is still a government missile testing site. The Narunga Space Surveillance Base was located further south and the Roxby Downs uranium mine out to the east. Um, my oldest great-grandchild is about nine, I think, and he's starting to ask questions too, like, Nana, what will we do if they, if they bomb this place? Where, where will we go? Now another military initiative, with both corporate and government support, is threatening Kukata lands. A new Australian company, Southern Launch, has established two rocket launch facilities, one on the Air Peninsula and the other at Kuniba, where Auntie Sue was born. The company wants to use the land as a missile testing range for hire, right on top of all of the sacred sites and waterholes and songlines of Auntie Sue's country. It's part of the rush to profit from and militarise space. The company promotes the facility like this. The KTR extends out 145 kilometres over uninhabited areas. Customers who use the KTR can recover their rocket and payload for further testing and systems validation before launching into orbit. Southern Launch has partnered with Thales, the same French weapons maker you can hear about in our episodes about West Papua. They've also partnered with Australian rocket builders AT Space and they've received millions in taxpayer-funded grants. Keep the names of these companies in mind. They're just some of the weapons makers making enormous profit from Australia's new wave of militarism. Their plan is to build the launch. Well, they've already got some kind of a launch, a mobile launch there, and they'll shoot the rockets from Kuniba, and they'll go, oh, I don't know what the distance is. It's hundreds of hectares, kilometres, whatever. It's a big area. Um, we know nothing, and they've kept it that way. South Australian government gives them a 10-year lease to destroy any sites out there with immunity, you know, they, they're not even going to get fined if they, they kill, a, kill a special site. They're going to get away with it. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show and we just bought you an excerpt of Episode 3 of Wage Pieces podcast series called Get Your Armies Off Our Bodies featuring Auntie Sue Coleman-Hasseldine. The series is produced and presented by Zelda Grimshaw and the team at Wage Peace, and you can find that on any podcast platform. They are currently hosting listening parties that you can join in to listen and discuss various episodes in a group setting. To link up with these events, go to wagepeaceau.org. The Radioactive Show is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria and broadcast across the continent thanks to the Community Radio Network. Thanks so much for listening and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues.